But dear friends in Christ, it was getting hotter. Those were the words that Frank May had said when he noticed at sunrise that he's looking out his window at an apartment over in India. And taking a deep breath, he felt like he was in a sauna. He was thirsty, and the jug by his bedside was empty. And all over town, there was the hum of window box air conditioners over there that sounded like a bunch of buzzing mosquitoes. Well, the next day, the temperature was 107 degrees, and the humidity up to 60%. And people were dying all over the place. Frank walked with a group of neighbors to the lake, and he found a desperate scene. There were many, many people in the lake with their heads bobbing up as they're sitting in the shallow lake there. And for them, it just felt better being in that water. They could sit there with their heads out of the water and try to endure. And so Frank shuts his eyes, and he's immersed in those shallows there. And the night drags on, and it's feeling like years for him. In the morning, he stirs, and gradually he gets up out of the water And balancing his head carefully on his spine, he surveys the scene there. Those people, they're all dead. That horrific scene is from the first chapter of Kim Stanley Robinson's book, The Ministry for the Future. And it's a fictional book. And Frank May, he's a worker who just barely survives an Indian heat summer wave. And then the book tells stories of people who are fighting climate change in innovative and surprising ways. But what is the ministry for the future described in this novel? Well, it's actually a real group, and they were created in connection with that Paris Climate Agreement. Its mission is to advocate for the world's future generations of citizens and defend all living creatures, present and future. And they have a ministry staff. It's based on lawyers economists, ecologists. They can have experts in science that are concerned about the earth, its atmosphere, and the oceans. It employs an expert in artificial intelligence also, as well as disaster and refugee specialists. A ministry for the future. What a fascinating concept. You know, usually we make decisions based on the interests of people who are alive now. But what if we thought about the needs of future generations? What if we were concerned about all living creatures, present and future? Well, in the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Colossians in that first chapter that he writes, he asks that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing good fruit in every good work. Paul doesn't long for the good old days. He's not fixed on the past. He's not reflecting on what happened last week or last month or even last year. He's looking instead to the future. And he's praying that these Christians, these followers of Christ in Colossae, that they'll be equipped to face the challenges that they will see are going to lie ahead of them. He wants them to be continued in their faith for them to live that life worthy of God, for them to please him in every way, and for them to bear fruit in every good work. Paul is creating a ministry for the future. It's based on the conviction that 
Decisions should be made today with an eye toward people's needs tomorrow. Now, Robinson's novel is focused on climate change, which is certainly a concern of Christians as God calls us to care for our creation. But mission and ministry for the future, that can include a wide variety of issues. And the critical shift is for us not to advocate for ourselves, but instead for the world's future generations. So where do we begin? Paul wants us to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And he's writing to those Christians in Colossae, and they're on a a major roadway in Asia Minor. They're a part of the Roman Empire. That's a part that now lies in modern Turkey, as we know it. The Colossians, they were familiar with Greek and Roman philosophy, and they were even influenced by Jewish mysticism and the mysterious Greek cults that were known as this. Neopythagoreanism. Try saying that five times fast. Well, Pythagoras, who that's named after, is a philosopher. You probably know him more as a mathematician. If you're like me, you went through the Pythagorean theorem when you had geometry. A squared plus B squared equals C squared, the hypotenuse. And that's what Pythagorean was known for and other things. But that neo-Pythagoreanism, it was a philosophical system. It was established in Alexandria, Egypt, and also in Rome in the second century BC. And it consisted mainly of revived Pythagorean or new Pythagorean doctrines with teachings of Plato and also of the Stoics. Now, Plato, he's the one who said that physical objects represent unchanging ideas and that the ideas of one's mind, that really gives true knowledge. And the Stoics, they were a group who taught that people should be free from passion, that they should be unmoved by things like joy and grief, and they should submit without complaint to unavoidable necessity. In any case, there were a lot of schools of thought in Colossae. And the Christian people, they were being pulled toward all these things in different directions, just as we are today with a variety of issues as well. To people taking part in fierce debates, Paul prays that they will have God, that they'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And that's not a philosophical type of knowledge like the Greek stuff going on. This is a practical knowledge. The wisdom is the ability to choose right conduct. That's what Andrew Lincoln, a New Testament scholar, says. He goes on to say that here in Colossians, the wisdom and insight produced by the Holy Spirit, they have, they have an, an explicitly ethical dimension. Paul doesn't want us to simply talk the talk about Jesus. He wants us to walk the walk. That means to honor your marriage commitment, to care for children and your family, and even in a wider way, the community, to try to see the image of God in people whose views are different from yours, and then to work together for the common good. That's the kind of ministry that will make for a better future. Ministry based on right conduct, grounded in wisdom of the Holy Spirit, 
with an ethical dimension. We can thank God that our earthly lives that we live in the knowledge and wisdom of God are given by him. Our life of faith, we enjoy because of God's undeserved love. Remember, it was Jesus who said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, my Father will give you. And this is my command, love one another. Remember St. Paul who writes this when he was Saul? God found him on that road to Damascus, even when Saul was not looking for him. And God is the one who chose us, too, in spite of our rebellion as people on the earth and our sin. And so, like the words of Jesus, Paul says that we're challenged to bear fruit in every good work. And this means following Paul's guidance as he speaks later in Colossians chapter 3, and saying that you have to have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That means bearing with one another, forgiving one another too. And all of that, we practice love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We know that as we walk by faith with our Lord each day, the impact of God's word, the Bible, the impact that it has on our lives, it's going to cause us to bear abundant fruit. The fruits of faith are those fruits that are important to God. And when you heard me say about fruit, you probably thought about this list, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's an excellent list that you're not going to find in many or any news stories today, probably, right? This fruitful list comes out of the lives of thankful people of God. And as we look at those nine fruit of the Spirit there, you know, we may want to practice improving on one fruit one day at a time. And then when you eventually get to the list, to the end of the list, repeat it over and over again. In that novel that I mentioned earlier, The Ministry for the Future, it speaks about a friend of Frank May who shows those qualities that I just talked about. And she's near him where she works, And she visits him, and the book says that she realized that she believed as much as she believed anything, that when someone is dying, it isn't right that he be left alone, stuck in a bed, attended only sporadically by nurses and doctors. That wasn't proper. That wasn't human. It should never happen. And so this friend, she turned Frank's room into her office, and she stayed with him doing her work during the day, and also playing a music box day after day after day. That's ministry. Ministry for the future. It's ministry that's marked by compassion and kindness and patience and love. But such actions are not just individual efforts that we can do. They should extend to community conduct and really become a part of the fabric of every congregation that says they're a Christian church. So that the church is what Paul calls the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today. There's a 16th century Spanish nun. 
Her name is Teresa of Avilia. And she has a profound writing here. She says, Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eye. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. Being the hands and feet of Jesus, we do that. There are some of us who are going to be heading out July 21st for about 11 days up to Alaska. And uh, I'll be taking my 11th mission team up there. And we're going back to a place that we started our mission work back in 2003. It's a place called Sterling, Alaska. It's down below uh, the uh, Anchorage area, about three hours south of there. It's on the right near the river. It's on the river of the Kenai River. And that's a, a good place to be. There's a lot of salmon there. <laughs> There's a salmon run that's going to be taking place while we're there. So we'll see a lot of fish going by. They won't catch many of them, but they'll be going by. And we're going to that place. It's off the highway. It's behind a, a school that you see there. And uh, here's the church. Well, there's the sign of the church. It's really there. It's behind those trees, <laughs> hidden. But uh, that church is a little bit smaller than probably the homes you live in. It's basically one big room, the sanctuary. And meetings take place there, Bible studies, eating, everything, all done in that one room. And that's what it was when we first got there. Well, recently, there were two rooms that were added on. And one is a classroom out back. It used to be out, right outside the kitchen door. We'd go out, and you can open the door. One time I saw a moose standing right in front of me. Not good. So, but now back there, you've got a classroom and even a craft room. And the ministry is, they were thinking of the future. 20 years ago, those kids that were even four or five years old when we were ministering to them, they're adults now. And we pray that what we did back then is touching their lives even today. And so we're going to go back to that place and meet more four- and five-year-olds and up to fifth-grade children. We're hoping about 15 to 25 children at least are going to be there this year. And uh, that's a good number for them. But thinking about the future, uh, locally, as you think about the future, We have things like Love, Inc., or Love in the Name of Christ. And as uh, we partner with them, one of the things that we do here at Trinity is uh, we can donate gas cards, which they can then provide to people who have those needs. As we look at the social ministry aspect of those school supplies, think about what that's going to do for the kids, not just for today, to help them this year, for example, but when they become adults, you know, 15, 20 years later, and so, and then they, they have children of their own. Hopefully they're going to remember that and know that the love of Christ touched them and that will have an impact on perhaps them even becoming Christians if they're not. 
so many things about the future. You know, imagine yourself 10 years from now, and you walk, uh, and you're, you're looking for a church, and you, you walk into a church, you go through the front door, and you're just, you know, not sure whether the worship service is going to have praise songs or traditional hymns, or it's going to have a new kind of Christian fusion music. But you immediately are greeted with kindness and compassion. And you hear a message preached there that's marked by wisdom and humility. One that helps you to grow in the knowledge of God's will. And you get the feeling that love really binds that church together in ministry and in mission. You're definitely going to want to be a part of a congregation like that. It's the kind of church that Paul envisioned in Colossae, in which people, as he concludes that writing at this part of the, uh, the message, he says, you know, they were rescued by God from the power of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's a Christian community that future generations are going to need. So let's start building a ministry for the future. Christ has done it all for us already on the cross for who we are. All he asks us to do is to believe, to trust, and to live our lives for him so that that future of knowing that people that come behind us later in life, in the generations to come, that we'll see them in heaven too as we look forward to the glories ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.